Hello, everyone. Uh, in this episode of the Hewlett Parker Labs uh, podcast from Research to Reality, I have a great honor and pleasure uh, to host uh, Janice Zenkas, the VP of Innovation uh, for Social Impact. Hello, Janice. Good morning. How are you? I'm excellent. How are you? Great. So you and I have uh, crossed paths for almost uh, multiple decades in um, Hewlett-Packard first, uh, HP then, then Hewlett-Packard Enterprise. The company has changed, but we stayed more or less the same. But uh, can you tell our audience a little bit about uh, this uh, travel of yours? What did you start working with and what do you do now? Great, sure. Yes, yeah, so I actually have the honor of being able to say I have spent my entire career working at Hewlett Packard and Hewlett Packard Enterprise. Uh, I joined HP uh, right out of college uh, where I worked on a computer science degree and uh, made the move from the Midwest to the West Coast to learn what it was like to work in R&D. But I also had the opportunity to kind of move across many different roles and many different uh, business units. So it actually has felt like I've worked for multiple companies um, yep. and in multiple different areas. So I've spent time uh, in uh, engineering. I've uh, managed large engineering teams. I've spent time in product management and marketing and support and um, customer experience and quality. And now actually have the opportunity to do some pretty impactful work for the company and for, for society uh, by working on our Tech Impact 2030 program. The first time I heard of you was indeed about the quality of HP products. Can you tell us how was that handled? HP is well known by the, the way of extremely uh, high quality. It's, it's a brand for quality. Right. So we've had a team um, over the years that actually was uh, separate from the product groups where we uh, paid special attention and close um, monitoring of uh, quality of our products and we did that also through managing our warranty so we could understand where any vulnerabilities might occur uh, as soon as they start to occur and, and we use pretty sophisticated uh, analytics to understand where uh, failure rates could exist and the causes for customer dissatisfaction and so I've spent a few years in the team uh, really looking to understand and participating with the team that did surveys on that but also studied the quantitative uh, statistical changes in products, and then took that knowledge inf and information back to those working on designing products to actually make better products each subsequent round uh, that, that we released. But today you work on something that is called Tech Impact. Right. Uh, and uh, that you, I mean, you have amazing title, Innovation, VP Innovation for Social Impact. It's such a, a, a great title and, and great uh, area to work on. Can you explain what does it mean in practice? Mm -hmm. So uh, one of the brand um, characteristics that, that Hewlett Packard Enterprise and HPE employees are known for uh, is being a force for good. And uh, as you know, the company supports us spending volunteer hours on a regular basis in, in doing good things uh, for our communities. And our company mission is to advance the way people live and work. So uh, through our participation with the World Economic Forum, we decided to formalize um, some of our efforts around how we are uh, contributing technology, employee skill-based volunteer time, uh, and um, consulting and, and advice uh, to significant social impact efforts. 
And we've picked uh, two of the UN Sustainable Development Goals, mm -hmm. one being food systems and world hunger, and the second being health, to uh, focus our efforts on. And so uh, we formalized my role to actually help kind of coordinate and select the projects, the technologies, um, build the processes for employees to engage in these efforts so that we can actually demonstrate impact uh, in these areas. Not saying that we are going to solve world hunger. We know that, you know, any one company can't do that. Otherwise, it would have been done by now. But we certainly think that the time is right for um, technologies that are either emerging or uh, now being applied in this space to actually make significant contributions in, in these spaces. So you know that I've been quite active in IEEE, and IEEE's tagline is advancing technology for the benefit of humanity. That's it right. looks like you are fulfilling almost the, the very same role for Hewlett-Packard Enterprise. Meet with a lot of employees who care deeply about the mission. So can you tell us what specifically do you do? You, there's uh, World Economic Forum, there's HP, so you get together, you hold these workshops, you uh, look at the technologies that could benefit. How, what what uh, specifically do you do? So, uh, the World Economic Forum in the hunger space has a uh, task force called the New Vision for Agriculture. And so I'm a representative, uh, an ambassador on that task force where um, you know, a few hundred people get together around the world and talk about uh, opportunities and mm -hmm. focus areas for uh, improving the area of world hunger. I take that knowledge and information back along with our partnership with World Ec Economic Forum to evaluate which opportunities, which projects we should be investing in and coordinating uh, efforts along the lines of. So um, my goal has been to help identify what I call a through line um, amongst projects. So I like to use the example that if, if you were to kind of put up, you know, paste across the walls a picture of the value system and ecosystem around all the contributing factors for solving world hunger, blindfold yourself and throw a dart, you would land on a very interesting project. Um, but all these interesting little projects don't necessarily create the impact that we're really trying to achieve. And so my goal has been to work kind of more from a systems thinking perspective to bring um, our partners uh, together, both from nonprofits, but also customers of mm -hmm. ours uh, and employees of ours and start to pick and choose projects that can have a common theme or a common thread. And then being housed in HP Labs, uh, my goal has also been to try to identify projects where our technologies can have a unique um, contribution uh, into this space. So contribution areas like memory-driven computing, like um, artificial intelligence and data analytics, like our HPE data fabric. Uh, there are technologies that, that could be applied in the space of world hunger that um, haven't been tried yet before. Um, and so it's a great opportunity to kind of bring those together. We've had, since we've announced this project a couple of years ago, a lot of um, open, I'll call it solicitations, but uh, contacts from partners and customers who said, hey, you know, do you think you could help us on this project? Do you think you could um, participate with us or give us some advice? Uh, and that has led to a lot of great ideas and innovation opportunities. Amazing, really amazing. And, and, and so much benefit for the world, you know, it's... Uh, um, one such project, uh, which might not uh, fit exactly for the world hunger, but is also advancing um, humanity and, and, and nature and sustainability, Soundscapes. That's one of the projects you brought. Very, very extremely sexy, and, uh, but also uh, has a lot of appeal projects. Can you tell us a little bit more about that? 
Yeah, so uh, that project is uh, housed at Purdue University. Mm -hmm. And uh, just to, to give Purdue credit, uh, they were the first partner of ours, customer of ours initially in the College of Agriculture uh, that um, partnered with us to actually apply new technology. So we actually started with uh, building out an Internet of Things IoT testbed mm -hmm. on their 1,400-acre farm where their researchers actually had multiple sensors and data analytics and research projects underway, uh, but we're facing some challenges around how to get the data um, from weather, from soil, from water, from plant phenotyping, all into a way where they could accelerate their research. And so we built an IoT testbed for them and then a data pipeline uh, into an on-prem cloud for them. Um, so that infrastructure then led to some additional projects. They have one of the um, world-leading advanced phenotyping centers uh, that they recently built, um, and that now connects into this data pipeline with extraordinary amounts of data coming off of their plants. Now that that system is supporting um, a project called Soundscapes, which is um, done by researcher Dr. Brian Pijanowski, where his mission has been to record the world. Mm -hmm. And uh, it's a fascinating thought, right? So he travels all over the world uh, and has sensors placed, um, you know, in the Amazon rainforest, in the mangroves, in, you know, you name it, in uh, uh, fire-ridden uh, forests of Arizona, all over the world. And he listens, um, and he listens for changes. So one example might be, um, I think, uh, he listens for a particular species of a tree frog um, in uh, South America, where he's trying to determine if this particular tree frog is repopulating after deforestation uh, to understand if reforestation efforts are working. Um, and so the linkage here is not just listening to cool sounds, it's actually trying to correlate um, these sounds to changes in climate uh, or uh, changes in um, impacts from uh, climate shocks. And so uh, he collects all this data around the world and then brings that data back in for deep analysis and um, data visualization as well. He, there's a very interesting video we could link to this um, interview, which you could share with folks. Um, a fascinating project that he's really been working on for so, so long to actually help the world understand and measure what we can be doing about climate change. Truly fascinating. Uh, a lot of help for today's world, but probably... Uh, for the future generations to come, you know, to record right. so that they can compare with uh, uh, what will be there in, I don't know, a few centuries, few millennia. Right. And there's a very strong linkage between these climatic shocks to hunger and what's happening with the food supply and what can be done um, proactively before these changes impact other parts of the world. And that's kind of the connection line uh, to, to the project around world hunger. So you could have also uh, held the title VP of Connections, because here you connected academia and uh, industry, uh, but you've been also connecting um, ABET and industry. Can you tell us a little bit uh, about your activities there? Right. Um, so about five years ago, I had the opportunity to join the Industry Advisory Council and then subsequently the Board of Directors for ABET, which is the Accreditation Board um, for Engineering and Technology, and, and uh, specifically, uh, ABET services, as you know, um, but in case our listeners don't know, it you know involves peer uh, volunteer reviews of um, university academic programs uh, to ensure that they are of high quality. And it's kind of a, a service for industry and a service for students to ensure that the programs that they're paying good money for and participating in are actually of high value. Um, and so, yes, I've had the opportunity to serve as the member at large um, and to bring in an industry perspective into um, the board of directors uh, there. 
really uh, great service you've been doing. I mean, it's uh, with all the commitments you have at work, uh, doing these uh, extra miles is truly rewarding for the world, literally. So you have a great taste in picking up contributions where you make. Oh, thank you. The third topic that, that I noticed you've been very active is uh, around the area of diversity and inclusion. I, I remember you attended the Grace Hopper conference. Can you tell us a little bit uh, about that event and why yeah. did you do that and what did yeah. you learn? Yeah, well, as a woman in computer science, um, uh, there aren't a lot of us. I mean, we are underrepresented um, and there are many underrepresented minorities in the field of computer science and engineering and STEM fields overall. And, it, and because of that, it's been an area of passion for me because I've had a wonderful career in an, and uh, many more uh, women and minorities could be participating in the tech industry uh, and aren't for a variety of reasons. And in fact, uh, despite you know tech companies in particular, but but many educational um, funds and governments spending you know multiple millions, I would venture to say hundreds of millions of dollars um, on encouraging students to pursue STEM disciplines. The needle's actually moving backwards when it comes to representation of women and underrepresented minorities from the time I graduated, which was you know we had about 32% women graduating in computer science at the time. And now it's only like 17%, despite all of the efforts. Uh, it's not because the pool is larger either. It's pretty much the same. So um, clearly the question is, why aren't we making progress? And how do, what are we doing wrong? What, what, what programs are working that we could be doubling down our efforts on? And so that led me to help champion um, a group of women from our Women's Innovation Council, which is a C-suite technical customer forum that, we, that we've held. Um, because we all kind of shared the same passion, the same concern. Um, and so we actually did an investigation mm -hmm. and we went off to go understand what's working, what's not, and came back to understand that, you know, there are hundreds of programs, but you know, they don't all measure outcomes the same way. They're all doing great things individually, but they're not connected. And if you're a student trying to understand what do you do next, it's very confusing. So that led us to actually uh, invest as a company, as a founding company, into a project to build a platform using machine learning and artificial intelligence called Curated Pathways uh, to actually connect programs and then make um, uh, knowledgeable recommendations to students about what they could and should be doing next to mm -hmm. actually track outcomes and to encourage their persistence. Uh, but first to build awareness and interest and then encourage persistence in preparation for their studies in STEM. And so I have to say that's been a personal passion of mine. Great, great. Um, fun and uh, it's a very rewarding experience to see students that actually kind of learn new things about technology and be able to participate in that. We have um, handed the project over to the YWCA because they have a strong international backbone for delivery uh, and we continue to kind of support them as they roll that out. Um, so that's one aspect. At Grace Hopper is a, is a focused um, organization, part of NEW.org. Uh, and that's a women's um, in women in, in computer science organization. Uh, another program effort around um, focusing and encouraging girls and women in in the computer science field. They have a very strong focus on um, you know uh, college age students and then uh, an early career focus as well. And I've had the opportunity a couple of times to speak about what I do and the projects that I work on more technically uh, with them, which is fun. I also sit on the board of directors for NCWIT, so that's the National Center for Women in Technology, uh, which has uh, been in place um, for many years and has been really significantly impacting 
the research space around what's working and what's not working, but also um, running programs called Aspirations and Computing for um, K through 12 and also for college age students to actually support and encourage women in computing. What would you advise young women, especially students, uh, even pupils in, in high schools and elementary schools? You are a very successful um, woman who um, uh, had a career in industry but haven't forgotten impact on the world. So what would you, what, what would be the message for uh, young women? So uh, I think the problem that I've, uh, I really feel is going on is that, that young women are writing off the career before they really understand what it is. And so I think the national uh, statistics show that most girls and underrepresented minorities by fifth grade already say, have an impression, a stereotype in their mind of what a computer scientist or a, a computer engineer or an IT uh, person does. And they say, ooh, I don't want to do that. And how those perceptions are created, I still don't fully understand. But I also know that we don't have a lot of great role model content, a lot of great communication about the impact uh, that the tech fields have on society uh, and the great things that, that we could be doing. So I, I encourage, I think we have to get to these students early. And I think we have to really showcase and volunteer information about the cool things we're doing that impact not just you know, cool new technologies, but actually get applied uh, to social impacts, to their communities, to making the world a better place. Um, and that's exactly what Curated Pathways is doing, by the way, is actually trying to put in front of students um, videos with uh, role models um, and examples, and then kind of start to reset an understanding of what you can do in a career like this. Um, but it's hard work, right? We know, you and I know, it's hard work. You have to take the math. You have to actually put the effort in. And, um, and so, that's the other support and information that students need to know is, you know, if you think you want to go do this, here are the steps you need to do early before it's too late. And then you have to go back and, and spend time kind of building your prerequisites. So um, I would say stick with it. Uh, try to really give an honest um, effort in trying to understand what people in tech in tech industry can do and, and give it a shot, play with it and, uh, you know, try coding and, um, and, and look at the opportunities for doing projects, you know, in groups as well, because that's another impression young students and young women have is that it's a very isolated career field. And as, as you can see from what I do, it's anything but isolated. You are a great role model for these uh, young women. Hopefully they'll pick up something from this podcast as well. I hope so. <laughs> Thank you. You um, studied in Purdue. Uh, that was prior to your professional career, but you didn't give up on studying, which is another good uh, example for young women. So you also finished MBA in Santa Clara University. Did that benefit your subsequent profession? How and what was your experience? Overall? Yes, very much so. So uh, I spent my initial first five years at HP in engineering, uh, and then I decided to make the move into product management because I wanted to have greater influence on the investment choices we made around customer requirements for products uh, and where we, we put our choices. And I also thought, naively so, that I could do a much better job than uh, some of the product managers we had. Three weeks into the job, I was like, oh my God, <laughs> those of you in product management, it's unbelievable the work you do. And that's yeah. when I realized I needed more um, market, financial, 
uh, business background that I currently held. And so thankfully, I was able to take um, an MBA program uh, part time in the evenings. It took me a little longer than it would have been if I had done it, you know, all at once. Mm -hmm. But uh, it was invaluable in teaching me uh, a lot about uh, profit and loss and technology investment and uh, organizational dynamics and really all of the factors I needed to be successful in product management. So I, uh, and also management, just how to be a good manager and, and marketing basics as well. So I'm a big fan of, you know, I think we have to always continually learn. We have to always kind of invest in our own growth. And, um, you know, I'm a big fan of encouraging, you know, if you can make the time, actually maybe you should make the time, uh, keep learning, uh, whether it's in a formal program or whether it's a few courses here and there. Um, depending on what your objective is, uh, it's an important thing to do. Especially uh, in today's world that changed substantially since the beginning of this year. Uh, and um, all of us are trying to help in this regard, including our company. Mm -hmm. uh, can you tell us a little bit about uh, what HP is doing for COVID and uh, what can we change and how can we help world in the same way as you were helping with many other uh, examples in agriculture mm -hmm. and other areas? Mm -hmm. Yes. So uh, as soon as the COVID um, crisis emerged, uh, there was, a, as I mentioned before, we have a lot of employees who care deeply about contributing and helping. And so uh, there was a large number of efforts that emerged with employees reaching out saying, hey, I'd like to volunteer some time to work on ABC. So we actually coordinated uh, a COVID response team and we um, organized a set of projects and we encouraged employees to work together where they could. Uh, and we also joined the White House Consortium um, uh, to help support uh, providing equipment and software uh, resources to uh, the White House projects that, that get named. So I helped um, participate in kind of the sponsorship of some of those projects. And, um, and we did a number of things. We had employees participate, participate in the Kegel Challenge. We had a very interesting project that was created around um, NLP, uh, Q, an NLP Q&A engine mm -hmm. um, for researchers to actually uh, access the very deep uh, and multilingual corpus of knowledge for uh, COVID so that they could get access to uh, genuine research results uh, quickly. Um, and we've provided that. We've also provided um, access. To, we cleared out our what we call our sandbox, which is our machine I'm sorry, memory-driven computing um, Superdome Flex system, and we made it available. We reached out to all the pharmaceutical companies, to medical researchers, um, medical uh, health industry customers of ours, and offered um, free access to this capacity, which was very, very high, high-end capacity. Um, one of the organizations that we supported in this is CGIR, uh, which is really the gold standard for um, doing analytics around the world's food supply, and they were doing a COVID project to understand uh, as you know, there were issues with uh, the food supply chain um, being disrupted yep. because of COVID. And so they were doing a deep data analytics around what are those impacts. And so that's one example of a group that we worked with that um, helped them kind of get a better understanding of, of the effects of COVID on the world food supply. So um, there's a variety. I think we did probably a dozen or so projects at least. Um, and a number of researchers um, were really uh, supported by our efforts. Uh, with such a huge experience that you have collected through your career, uh, you gave great examples of advices to the young women. Uh, can we close with some advices to all professionals around the world 
uh, how can they uh, achieve the levels of success that you have personally? <laughs> well, thank you. I would say a couple of things. One is, um, as we talked earlier, stay current, right? So um, invest in, in your knowledge base, take a certificate class, uh, ex you know, go back to school if, you, if you're feeling like you need to increase your knowledge base on emerging technologies. The second is be a role model, get out there, um, tell, talk about what you do. Uh, tell students and young people about the opportunities that they have, because that's where the job growth is uh, in our country and actually worldwide, is in STEM jobs, and in particular in computing, and actually more deeply in data analytics and cybersecurity. So, um, you know, we need to actually encourage young students to give this career field a shot, and uh, we need to help kind of get out there and get the word out about it. Thank you very much. Very inspirational. Uh, and thank you for joining us in this uh, early morning in Silicon Valley. Uh, very uh, thundery. Uh, thank you, Dion. I appreciate it. Okay. Bye, Janice. Bye-bye.